right, if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on. Oh my gosh, that's bad. Do the Bible thing, you know, the thing we say every week. Um, 2 Chronicles chapter 33 um, is where we're going to start. I could totally see that, like, by the third service, this is going to be on video, isn't it? Um, anyway, um, this is the start of our Christmas series called The Christmas Chronicles. Um, last year, a little boy here in the church came up to me and said, um, next year you should title the series Christmas, Christmas Chronicles. And um, I liked it, so we ran with it. And so um, if you don't like it, go seek out that little boy. And if you don't like what he says, come back and talk to me. And, 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 and then Russian Paul will come down here and he will take <laughs> care of you. He is the machine. And it, if you know what that means, you're a sinner and you're bad. Anyway, uh, man, I'm so far off this morning. Whew. All right. Uh, not all these messages are going to be from Chronicles. This one is. Um, in fact, you might wonder how this is even a Chris, Christmas message. Um, hang on to the end. It'll make sense. Maybe. Probably. Hopefully. Um, let me let me set it up today like this. Um, we live in a cancel culture, right? I mean, you, you, you understand that. Like, if you do something, you say something that somebody else doesn't like, that's not politically on this side or that side, you get canceled. And, and it's not just if you do something or say something today. Like, people go way, way, way back, and they look at your social media accounts, five years, ten years, fifteen years. Like, they go to your MySpace you can't even get on your MySpace page anymore. But people know how to get there, and they bring it up, and they cancel you. We live in cancel culture. And I was watching this news segment a week or so ago about people getting canceled. I'm talking about this person getting canceled and that person getting canceled. And they're talking about canceling Christmas. Every year we have to listen to that junk about canceling Christmas, right? And people get mad because Starbucks isn't using the right colored cup or didn't put something on there. And we're not going there and we're not doing this. And, and, and they were talking about all of these different things. And, and they were calling it a new phenomenon. And I'm like, this isn't new. Like, it's not new at all. Like, especially in the church world. Because in the church world, the, pe- the church has been canceling people for years. Oh, you got pregnant and you weren't married? Canceled. You had an abortion? Canceled. You're living together? Canceled. You're an addict? Canceled. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like that's what happens in the church world. And there are people that maybe you're, maybe it's you, but there will be people here this week and they feel like that. I mean, you're here, and it's the Christmas season, and the stage is decorated all cool and awesome, and we've got the Christmas sweaters, and we've got all that stuff, but you're not excited because at some point in your journey, you feel like you've been canceled. Others of us, we don't feel like we've been canceled, but we understand and we know that we canceled God out of our lives. And it wasn't like one day we woke up and said, God, I'm canceling you. No more. Like, like nobody would ever wake up and do that. Like that's just, that's just not very smart. But slowly, over the course of some days and weeks, maybe even years, we've canceled the importance of God out of our lives. And by doing that, we wound up in a place that we thought we would never, ever be. As a matter of fact, we told ourselves and we told other people, I'll never be there. I'll never be that person. And if that's you, you're going to love this message. This thing seems a little loud and it's a little echoey and maybe it's my throat, but it's messing up my head. So anyway, Second Chronicles 33 verse 1 says this, when Manasseh, everybody say Manasseh, Manasseh, we're going to talk about him a lot today. When Manasseh was 12 years old, he got to become king. Now, right off the bat, that's a problem, right? I mean, I know your 12 year old is awesome. 
But he shouldn't be king in your house. Like, knock it off. Make him stop. Just hypothetically saying, maybe I know somebody that happened to. And you might be saying, well, well, how does this even happen? Well, in ancient Israel, the way it happened was that the man who was king, when he died, the oldest son automatically got put into power. And so the oldest son was who? Manasseh, you're following along. All right, that's the way the political system ran. And so Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. That's a problem. But then it says this, and he reigned Jerusalem, reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. 55 years. That's a long time to be king. Now, here's what you need to know about Manasseh that's in the previous chapters. I'll summarize it for you. You can go back and you can read it later. Manasseh had a dad named Hezekiah. Hezekiah, from all that we could put together, Hezekiah was a godly man. I mean, he had issues, like all of us had issues. But for the most part, he was a godly man. So Manasseh grew up in in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, a Christian home, so to speak. Like he grew up knowing about God. Like don't, don't miss that. He grew up knowing about God. Kind of like some people you may know. People who grow up going to church, but as soon as they get the opportunity, they make a run for it. Like, like that was me. Like growing up, going to church, as soon as I got an opportunity, yep, I'm out of here, man. I'm done with this place. And, and that's where Manasseh is in his relationship, if you could call it, with God. He knew about God, but he doesn't necessarily know God. And then, and then something happens. This is, this is crazy. Verse two. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. Now, I want you to notice it doesn't say he did what was evil in people's sight. Cause you, you know that you can never, ever, ever, ever live up to the standards of other people. Cause you're always going to be doing something wrong, right? You're always going to do something that's going to make somebody else mad. Somebody's going to be ticked off. Somebody's going to say, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go there. That shouldn't be what you're doing. You shouldn't do that. Like, like other people have things that they consider wrong that we're doing, just like we have things that we consider wrong that other people are doing. We judge each other based on those standards. Yes or no? Yeah, I know you don't want to admit it, but we all know the answer is yes. Like I used to have a friend when I first became a Christian, we're still friends. Um, but early on as a Christian, we would get together and he would always talk about how good he was. And one of the reasons he was good is because he didn't cuss like that. That's what he would say. I don't cuss. I don't cuss. I don't cuss. Well, how do you don't cuss, man? Everybody cusses. I don't cuss. I don't cuss. But when he would get really, 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 really mad, he would say, son of a buck. And I always be like, a couple questions, man. First of all, in the son of a buck, just another buck. Like, just saying. Well, the rest of you will apparently get down on the way home. I don't know. That's, I thought everybody knew that. But second of all, like, why do you say that? I was like, hey man, why do you say that? He's like, it's, it's my substitute cuss word. I'm like, You're what? It's like, it's my substitute cuss word. Instead of cussing, I just say son of a buck. I'm like, well, is the intention to cuss? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, well, you might as well say damn it. He just said damn it. Yes, he did. He did. Really awesome. Don't worry, it gets better. <laughs> some, some of you are like, you shouldn't do that ever in a mess. I know, you shouldn't, um, shouldn't do those things. I get it. But, but that, that's what's happening, right? 
We do that to other people, right? We, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. That's not what happening. That's not what is happening here in this text. What's happening here is that he did evil in the Lord's sight, not people's sight. All of us in this room, all of us, at least one time, at least once in our life, we have done evil in the Lord's sight. We've done something that's evil in the Lord's sight. Wednesday, Mary and I went to a magic show in Ames. I know it's witchcraft. Um, hold on. We'll talk about that. It's in the text actually today. It's awesome. Anyway, um, we get there. We're running a little bit late because we ate and we're trying to get over to Stephen's Auditorium and there is a basketball game at the same time. And so we're in Ames traffic, which causes issues with my control. And I maybe might have heard Mary say something that was evil in the sight of the Lord. Son of a buck! Anyway, I was there. I get, anyway, um, all of us, all of us, all of us, all of us have done evil in the Lord's sight. Now, we don't wake up saying, what commandments can I break today? It, it's just, it just begins to happen slowly over our life. And Manasseh, look, look what he started doing. This is how it started for him. Evil in the Lord's sight, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. And so Manasseh, he, he, he's like here. He, he knows about God. He knows the things of God probably. But he's like, I'm just going to move a little bit. I'm just going to move a little bit the other direction. Like, I mean, I, I want to come over here. I want to go to the temple and, and, and maybe I'm going to worship a little bit. Maybe I'm going to sing a little bit, but, but I want to do this over here too. Like, like it's not that big of a deal. Like people are over here, but, but over here, I mean, this is, this is where people are having fun. Like it's a, it's a good time over here. I, I know over here what I'm supposed to do. I, I know what God is saying, but, but maybe, maybe perhaps I can, I can somehow just keep one foot here and one foot over here and maybe I could just stay in the middle between God and the fun stuff. And eventually, this is what happens, verse three. He rebuilt the pagan shrines his father Hezekiah had broken down. He constructed altars for the images of Baal and set up Asherah poles. Now, this is where some people, some people equate these Asherah poles to Christmas trees. Stop it. Knock it off. That, it's not the same thing. It's not even close. Just don't listen to people like that. They're dumb. Um, sorry, if that's you. But stop. Put up a Christmas tree. It's all right. Um, Santa, on the other hand. Just kidding. Um, he also bowed down before all the powers of the heavens and worshipped him. This is a huge problem. It's a huge, huge, huge problem. Because Manasseh, when he was 12 years old, if you would have went to him and you would have said, Hey, Manasseh, do you see yourself ever doing this right here? He would have said, No. No way. I would never do any of that. There's no way that I'm ever going to turn my back on that. But how do you get there? How do you get to that point? Well, it's one small step at a time. Take one step. You take another step, and you take another step, and another step, and before you know it, you find yourself doing stuff that you said you would never, ever, ever be doing. Verse 4, he built pagan altars in the temple. In the temple! This is where the presence of God was. You could not open-handed slap the face of God more than this right here. Built pagan altars in the temple of the Lord, the place where the Lord had said, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. 
He built these altars for all the powers of the heavens and both courtyards of the Lord's temple. He has lost his dang mind. That's what Manasseh has done right here. He has lost his flipping mind. And one step at a time, that's what we do. One step at a time, we do the same thing. We go to the places and we do the things that we said we would never, ever, ever do. Now, in order to set this next point up, I need to ask a question. This question is for all the parents in the room. Listen, you can only answer this if you're a parent. But if you're a parent, you have to answer honestly. If your kid is with you, if your kid is sitting with you right now, it's going to be awkward. But you got to tell the truth. All right? You ready? How many of you parents would admit that at least one time in life, your kid has driven you absolutely freaking crazy? Look at that. More hands up right now than during worship. Look at that. Crazy. Now, here's the thing. As crazy as your kids have driven you, how many, how many of you, come on, how many would you admit at one time, at least once, when your kids driven you crazy, you're like, man, I'm gonna kill that kid. How many? Okay. Now, as much as you've thought it, as much as that thought has crossed your mind, None of us, none of us have gone to this level. I mean, Manasseh, Manasseh starts out here, right? He starts worshiping other things. He turns his back on God. Like we talked about last week, he flipped his chair. Oh, he, he flipped his chair, right? He got up, he walked away. That's what, that's what he has done. Because watch what happens in verse six. Manasseh also sacrificed his own sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Haman. You have done What? You threw your kids in the fire? Now, just a quick question. When Manasseh's 12 years old, do you think if you would have come to him and you would have asked him, hey man, you think you're ever going to have kids? And if you do have kids, you think you'll ever throw him in the fire? What's his answer going to be? No, I would never do that. That's, that's dumb, man. Why would you even ask that question? But when he took a step, and then he took another step, and then he took another step, he wound up doing things that he never, ever, ever would have said that he would have done. And so have I. And so have some of you. It gets worse. Ryan, it can't get any worse. <laughs> it does. He practiced sorcery, deviation, and witchcraft. And, and it wasn't like he did a magic show at Central Church, right? And that, that, this, is, this is witchcraft. Sorcery, deviation, and witchcraft. And he consulted with mediums. And psychics. He did much that was evil in the Lord's sight. Make no mistake that those things are evil in the Lord's sight. What are you trying to say, Ryan? I'm trying to say, knock it off. Those things are evil in the Lord's sight. Right? Here's the author telling us. I want you to understand that this isn't people sitting around using Twitter judging him. It's him doing it. Evil in the Lord's sight. And what happens? arousing his anger, not arousing Manasseh's anger, and arousing whose anger? God, he's ticked off. He's upset because, like, Manasseh's calling the psychic hotline or whatever, man. This is this ticks God off. Instead of seeking God's ways and God's plans, like, like he's, he, he's, he's acting like religious, like, like spiritual or whatever, right? But, but, but he's, he's, he's doing Everything against God. See, what happens when we eventually walk away and we turn our chair, we turn our back or whatever, we, we turn to the wrong things every single time. When we turn our back on God, 
When we start walking away, whether it's a small step or a big step, whenever we start, start, we turn to the wrong things every single time. This is where addiction happens. We turn to the wrong things. Trust me, I know a whole lot about this. The writer goes on to say this in verse 7. Manasseh even took the carved idol he had made and set it up in God's temple. (laughs) Stop it, man. Quit slapping God. That's what he's doing right here. The very place where God told David and his son Solomon, my name will be honored forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen from among all the tribes of Israel. If the Israelites will be careful to obey my commands, all the laws, decrees, and regulations given through Moses, I will not send them into exile from this land that I set aside for your ancestors. But Manasseh, like, dude, just stop. Stop. But Manasseh led the people of Judah and Jerusalem to do even more evil than the pagan nations that the Lord had destroyed when the people of Israel entered the land. In other words, the pagan people, the people didn't even know God. And they're looking at Manasseh going, man, I don't think you should have done that, man. I don't, I don't think you should go there. I don't think you should have gone that far. But, but Manasseh, like nobody in this room, nobody would even attempt to make an excuse for Manasseh right here. There's no excuse. Sacrificing your kids in the fire, you can't defend that. But God begins to move. Verse 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh. Which right here, when you see that, you would expect the next verse to say, and God punched him in the throat. And that was the end of him. (laughs) We'd get that, right? We'd understand that. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. But they ignored all his warnings. See, if we're we're here, and we start taking a step in this direction... God's going to speak to us. I believe God is always going to speak to us. And when God speaks to us, it, man, it's, it's surprising and amazing the ways that he speaks to us. I was listening to this podcast not long ago. This guy was talking about the cultural revolution of the 60s and the 70s and even into the 80s. How sex, drugs, and rock and roll became the thing. And people were rebelling. And he was talking about the church He's talking about how the church didn't step up. And he said the church slept through the cultural revolution and we missed an opportunity. And, and I look back like over church history and I'm looking at the church of the 80s and the 90s and, and even today. And I'm like, hey man, the church didn't sleep through it. The church got mad and started screaming at people. That, that's what we continue to do today, right? I mean, we see something and we, we, just, we just scream at them. But what I've learned through personal experience, is when you're in an environment that says, you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck, you're horrible, you're pathetic, you're awful, let's pray. See you next Sunday. Eventually, you're like, man, dude, I can get told I suck sitting at home. I don't got to go to a place and participate, right? And so, and so we think we think because of, of what's happened over the years and what the church has continually done is we think God is just always screaming at people. We don't think he's speaking to us. We think he's angry. But when you read the Gospels, when you really look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you get to see who Jesus is, the Bible says he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. You, you understand that, right? That's one of the things we talked about. We gotta be on the same page with God, Jesus, same person. Jesus here. Jesus, God with us. Like that, that's amazing. And when he comes, when he was here, 
He wasn't, he, he wasn't angry screaming at sinful people. He was angry screaming at religious people. Like he, he screamed at them all the time. Like he's turning over tables in the temple. Like he, he was ticked off at them. But, but when you're just messing up, like, like, like when I think of God speaking to people through, through what I've seen in scripture, through what I've seen in all of my years in ministry, and through what I've experienced myself, is that when, when God speaks to us, when we're stepping away from him, I, I think the best way to describe it is, is God, as we're stepping away, God's looking at us saying, are you sure? Are you sure you want to do that? Like, is that really what you want to do? I mean, I mean, you could do that if you want to do that, but, but, but there are going to be consequences. Are, are, are you, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure that's where you want to go? Are you sure? I, I remember one time, um, this before Jesus was in my life. This was, um, in college before Bible college. And, um, I had done something. I don't know what. I'm sure I had mouthed off to the wrong person. And, uh, and we were getting ready to fight. And, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I was going to lose that fight. I was, I was going to get just beat down. He had killed me. He was bigger than me. He was stronger than me, but I wasn't backing down. I don't know if you can believe this or not, but there's a point in, in your pastor's life where he's just a little bit too cocky. And, um, <laughs> and, and we were about to go and it was crazy. And I just looked at him and I said, are you sure you want to do this? And he looked at me, he's like, why? What are you going to do? And, and as honest as God, true story. I said, listen, I can't guarantee the outcome, but I can promise you one thing. We're both going to the hospital. And I bluffed my way out of a butt kicking that day. It was amazing. It was, I'll never forget that question because it was like, like I've been at that place in my life where God is asking me the same thing. Hey, sure you want to do that? Like, Ryan, are you, are you really sure? And at times... It's been like, no, cool, God, like, you're right, man, cool, you know what, God, awesome, man, thank you so much for stepping in, but other times, yeah, God, I'm sure I want to, and it takes us further away every single time, and maybe God's asking some of you today, hey, you started out here, you took some steps in this direction, you sure that's where you want to go? You sure that's what you want to do? You sure you want to go down that road? Like, are you sure you want to be there? Because Manasseh ignored all of the warnings. All of the warnings. And look what happens. Verse 11. The Lord sent the commanders of the Assyrian armies. Let me explain this real quick. The Assyrian armies are in the north. They did not know God. They didn't follow God. They didn't worship God. They were in no way, shape, form, or fashion connected with God. But I find it amazing that the writer of Scripture right here says that, who who sent? Who sent? Who sent? Who? The Lord. The Lord sent the armies of a foreign nation. The armies of people who didn't even know him. In other words, the Lord is in control of all political systems all over the world. Even those who don't acknowledge him, he reigns over them. And that's just to let somebody know that's all caught up in Fox News or MSNBC or CNN. God reigns. God rules. God is in control. No matter who's in the White House, he's in the eternal house. God is already King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. So the Lord, the Lord, the who? 
the Lord sent the commanders of the Assyrian armies and they took Manasseh prisoner. Because that's what sin will do. Every time, sin will take you prisoner. Sin never adds to you. Sin always takes away from you. You, you can't play with it. Like, we'll dance with it, but, but sooner or later, that dance does nothing but tie you up and put you in bondage. Took Manasseh prisoner. What do you want to be in life, Manasseh? Prisoner. Never would have said that. Took him prisoner. Put a ring through his nose. I know what some of you are thinking. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. So hip and awesome. No, this was not cool. Put a ring through his nose, bound him in bronze chains, and led him away to Babylon. That's horrible. Because Babylon, about 500 miles away from Jerusalem. You had to walk through two deserts to get to Babylon. Jerusalem was the epicenter of worship. It's where the presence of God was. It's where the temple was. The presence of God is in the temple. The power of God is in the temple. And so Manasseh, don't miss this, he gets taken captive by the enemy, hooked his nose, and led so far away. He's further away from God, geographically and spiritually, than he has ever been. And if you would have asked him, when he was 12 years old, Manasseh, what's your dream in life, man? What do you want more than anything in this world? He would not have ever said, man, one of these days, I want the Assyrians to come in and I want them to put a ring in my nose and bind me with chains and lead me into captivity into a foreign place where I have no connection to God at all. The reason I'm saying that is because maybe there's somebody right now, you feel like you're in that place. See, see we look at this guy and we, well, let, let me say this. If you're looking at this and you're saying, good for him, he got what he deserved, you might want to lean on in on that. You might want to squeeze that out a little bit. That's not good for you. Because we can look at him and we can say that. Well, good for him. God told him. He ignored God. He got what he deserved. At the end of the day, do any of us want what we deserve? No. I mean, let's say somebody comes to you. Let's say somebody gets to come in. And write down the 12 worst verses of the worst season of your entire life. Would you want me to read them on screen, yes or no? No freaking way. No, you don't want that. Trust me. So we see this story taking place and we say, well, he deserved it. But, but listen, whenever you see somebody experience something like this right here, instead of saying they got what they deserved, pause and say, by the grace of God, that's not me. Because that could have been me, right? That, that could have been me. That could have been you. But remember that time that you were faced with that decision and you took this turn instead of that turn? L- listen, the reason you took this turn was because of the grace of God. It was because of the grace of God. It was the grace of God. It wasn't your good morality. It, it wasn't. It was the grace of God that you made the decision that led you to that place. Because if you've been to that place... You've been right there. You can look at people who have gone through this and your heart is broken for them because you know how they think. This is why when we see somebody do something like this right here, we need to say, by the grace of God, that's not me. And I'm so glad that Manasseh's story doesn't end right here. By the way, neither does yours. Verse 12. But while in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord his God. Well, deep distress, deep, this, this, this is rock bottom, bottom. I'm talking about deep, 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 
deep distress. And listen, deep distress is not, oh my gosh, they messed up my order at Culver's. I don't know what I'm going to do. Deep distress is when you're sitting on the edge of your bed and you're thinking, maybe the world would be better without me. You ever been there? I have. Some of you might be there right now. Deep distress. Not sad that he got caught. Like legit distress. Manasseh sought the Lord his God and sincerely humbled himself. That's huge. That's huge. He didn't say, all right, fine, God. If you just get me out of prison, I promise I'll do better. God, if you just if you just take the ring out of my nose, like I, I promise, I'll never do that again. I'll, I'll never look at that. I'll never call them. I'll never do. I'll never do any of that. that. That's what you call bargaining. And when we try to bargain with God, we don't really have a humble heart. Manasseh wasn't doing that. This is Manasseh humbling himself and saying, "Hey, you know what, God? I messed up. I was wrong. I'm sorry." Will you forgive me? Now, we all know the amazing grace of God, and we all know how God forgives. But we also know how the church world works. And this in the church world is where some people go, oh, God's going to forgive him. That's what's going to happen. He's going to get forgiven, but he's still going to be the same. He don't make no change. That's what happens in the church world. A lot of times, somebody will be here. They start taking some steps over here. They pray for forgiveness, and they get forgiven. But in the church world, in the church world, they still have an asterisk by their name. Who's that guy? Man, he loves Jesus. Yeah, but he's an addict. Stay away from him. Who's that girl? She loves Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She got a couple kids with a couple different guys. Man, you don't want to talk to her. Stay far away from her. And, and, and listen, listen, listen. God doesn't want to just forgive you. He wants to do something else. Because watch, 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 watch what he does for Manasseh. This is awesome. Verse 13. And when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem. Manasseh, you're in the prison, but you humbled yourself. I'm going to bring you back to the palace. See, God doesn't want to just forgive you in the prison and then shame you for the rest of your life. God said, I'm going to take you from the prison and I'm going to restore you back to the palace. You humbled yourself. It's not just about forgiveness. It's about restoration. I'm going to bring you back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh finally realized that the Lord alone is God. So here's the good news for somebody that you were here. You took some steps in this direction. And you feel like Manasseh, tied up, forgotten by God. Listen to me. God is not trying to get you back. He's, he's not trying to punish you. He, he's trying to bring you back. And he doesn't want to forgive you with an asterisk above your name for the rest of your life saying, you're forgiven, but you're damaged good in the kingdom. No, no, no. He wants to bring you from the prison to the palace and restore you to even greater things than you could ever possibly imagine. God is a God of second chances. God is a God of second chances. God is a God of second chances. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that right now. God is a God of second chances. Tell them that. God is a God of second chances. And oftentimes, the second chance can be greater than the first chance. Even though you blew it over here, God says, I want to open up a door of restoration for you that's better than anything you could ever possibly imagine. Listen, I'll close like this. He does it because of a man named Jesus. It's all because of a man named Jesus. 
Because see, Manasseh cried out to God. But through Jesus, God is crying out to us saying, you still have hope. There is still potential for you. I have a plan and a purpose for your life. Because look at this. Look what Matthew wrote. Chapter 1, verse 21. And she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message to his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel. Which means God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. God is with us in the person of Jesus Christ. And because of Jesus, no one in this room is too far gone. There is no one in this room that is too far tied up. Because in Jesus, we have peace. In Jesus, we have hope. In Jesus, we have joy. And in Jesus, we can go from the prison to the palace and live again. Because his name is above every name. In his name, there is no one higher. There is no name greater. His name is what? Jesus. And that is what the Christmas season is all about. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you right now that your name is above every single name. Your name is above addiction. It's above sickness. It's above depression. It's above anxiety. Your name is above worry. It's above doubt. Jesus, your name is greater than every name. Right now, with heads bowed, maybe you're like 12-year-old Manasseh taking some steps in the wrong direction. And you haven't hit rock bottom, but you know you're on your way. And today God is asking you, you sure? Sure you want to do that? You sure you want to go in that direction? And your answer is no, Jesus. I don't want to walk that way anymore. I'm going to turn back to you right now. Right now. Listen, you don't need me to lead you in a prayer. You can just say, Jesus, I don't don't want to go in that direction anymore. Maybe you're like Manasseh and you've hit rock bottom. Take it from somebody who was there. Rock bottom to me was a gift because it caused me to see how desperately I need Jesus. Maybe you're in that place today of deep despair. I, I, I was there. And, and here's what I can tell you. You got there by yourself, but, but you can't get out of there by yourself. You need the help of Jesus and the help of others. And if you need help today, if you're that person, you feel like you're sitting on the edge of your bed trying to think of the reason to live one more day, you came to the right place. Because we've got a group of people who would love to meet with you, pray with you, pray for you. There'd be people in the back of the sanctuary during this song who, who, would, who, would, who would love to talk with you. And Jesus, your name is a name that is above all names. In you, we can walk knowing that we are more than conquerors. That in you, there is no condemnation. Because your word says the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And in you, Jesus, the best is always yet to come. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.